you know, I found that I was a great at writing prose per se, right? Like in school, I just write these great stories. Um, I was strong in English and, uh, and I fell in love with filmmaking and I didn't understand the script world. I didn't understand how, how you storytell when every other word is cut cut to and you're actually having to include camera movement and things of that nature in your story so it's almost like interrupting your story because you're visually having to tell it so once I learned that format then I felt like I was really a storyteller then I felt like I could translate my story out of my head and into a format of some size from cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire humans crave order among chaos connection amid isolation so we tell stories Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. And welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today day because uh, of this episode kicking off season three of the storytellers network where we focus on video storytellers so it could be filmmakers youtubers video phone video i don't know whatever uh, we are talking to an award-winning digital media content producer director and editor neil galarte neil specializes in high-end media creation and post-production he also works with entrepreneurs and creatives in developing and bringing their visions to life so he's also a collaborator and a coach and his documentary the messengers that he was director of uh it's called the messengers a podcast documentary he directed and edited is now on itunes and amazon and we talk about that quite a bit uh that's where actually i first heard of neil he's also host of the post-production podcast all things post a founding member of the florida podcasters association he also he's not busy i mean at all right (laughs) i don't think this guy sleeps neil is also uh the co-organizer and he promotes podfest the second largest podcast conference for beginners and indie podcasters in the country created by Chris Kremitzis. And, uh, and that is actually where Neil and I finally met. And he agreed to come on the Storytellers Network. And here we are. So before we get into today's conversation, just a quick reminder, find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes, for the other seasons, for how to contact us and for resources to help you tell your story. And if you like what we're doing here, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to reach new storytellers. Now, without further ado, Neil Gilarte and his story. So there you go. The intro was uh, all about Neil. So let's hear from Neil now. Thanks for joining me today, man. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's start where I always do, uh, where you are in the country, because I feel like storytellers can be anywhere. But this season, in particular, we're talking about video creators. So do you have to be in like Hollywood, California, or where are you? <laughs> Not anymore, right? It used to be that way. Uh, I just moved back to Orlando, actually, where I had uh, spent a long time uh, growing up. So was in Tampa for five years, but we just moved back this past October. So I'm in the Orlando area now. Right on. So did the whole company move, as it were, or are you guys remote? Yeah, I moved everything back. Uh, I call it home, right? I've been here for a long time. I did live in Southern California, which is funny you brought that up. Uh, but yeah, I just moved everything. I felt like I went to Tampa, got my business degree. Uh, we made that movie and I'm back here to bring all that business back home. Yeah, and speaking of that movie, that's where we, as I mentioned in the intro, where I learned about you was The Messengers yeah. documentary. So you, I mean, you're just all over the place. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Your, your video and podcasting, you put them both together and you have The Messengers. Let's hear about that. Yeah, that was a little bit of a crazy thing. I mean, a little tiny backstory to keep it short is um, I was basically a 
video, a filmmaker and video producer. So I had a, a video production business and I used podcasting in 2014 as just a way to meet new clients or ooh, I don't want that noise there, uh, as a way to, uh, you know, reach out and expand the business or whatever. And I never ever thought that podcasting would change my life the way it did or that it would become the reason I finally got a film distributed everywhere. Never thought in a million days it would be for podcasting, but that's kind of what happened. Connected the two things together. Um, and we created a film called The Messengers, a podcast documentary, which is now on Amazon, Amazon Prime and iTunes. Uh, and I, I bought it. I pre-bought it because a friend of mine talked about it, uh, Wally Carmichael. And oh, yeah. I went and watched it as soon as it came out. I had just met Chris at Podcast Movement. Uh, so this was a long time ago, but then when I watched it, it, man, it opened up my eyes to everything. So thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. It was an amazing project. We're very proud of it. And uh, I'm just excited that the whole world could see it. Yeah. Uh, so do you consider yourself a storyteller, Neil? Oh, absolutely. I'm very proud to call myself a storyteller, yes. And have you always felt that about, about what you do? Um, or, wow. or as a person even, I mean... Yeah, you know, I'm that guy that sits around and tells you all about everything. I'm the, I'm the guy that was at every party telling you the funny story. But I didn't really become uh, what I consider, you know, a true uh, storyteller as far as a craft until I think uh, just after high school, early college years when I started to actually write stories and write scripts and learn the craft of filmmaking. And does writing lead right into filmmaking for you? You know, it, it kind of did. At first, I was just... You know, I found that I was a great at writing prose, per se, right? Like in school, I just write these great stories. Um, I was strong in English. And, uh, and I fell in love with filmmaking, and I didn't understand the script world. I didn't understand how, how you storytell when every other word is cut, cut to, and you're actually having to include camera movement and things of that nature in your story. So it's almost like interrupting your story because you're visually having to tell it. So once I learned that format, then I felt like I was really a storyteller. Then I felt like I could translate my story out of my head and into a format of some site. So yeah, it's been, it's been a bunch of years. Exciting. Yeah. And, and so is it a, so I imagine you sitting down, writing your story, creating the script, uh, blocking the shots, doing all that, and then shooting it, editing it, everything. But yeah. it's not just a one person show all the time though, right? I mean, this is a collaborative medium, isn't it? Uh, it's not, but it was right for, I am that I am the one man guy for sure. Like, okay. I, I am the monkey. I was until I became an adult now, you know, <laughs> I've had 25 <laughs> years of doing it solo and collaborating with others, but pretty much, yeah, being the shooter, director, lighter editor. Now I've grown uh, my company, Wildstyle Media to have four or five different people. So it's no longer that, uh, which is so awesome. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? My early career was really just me and finding friends that had the same passion. And then hopefully I got lucky that they were one of the other roles. But I think that the reason that I have had such an amazing career is that I did fill all the roles. And I really felt like I was the, I disagreed for so many years with the, you should only focus on one thing. Because I think that the reason that I've been able to gel podcasting and filmmaking in the way that I've been able to do so, so that has benefited me the way it has is because I did so many different roles that now I value the person who's taken that away from me now. And I can really appreciate what they're bringing to the table because I can finally give that up. And, and how do you see that, that teamwork now change your craft of storytelling when you oh. collaborate with somebody? Is it, is it hugely different? First of all, I love collaboration. You know, I was a one man band by force, not by choice. So <laughs> um, I've always been a great collaborator. I, pride myself in trying to be a great 
collaborator when I'm being asked to. Um, so now what happens is I can actually focus on the part I love. I can delegate some of the stuff that was more time consuming. I still love to edit because I believe that in, at least in the film world, the, and now with podcasting, the story comes together in editing. So, but right now what's been great about having another team, a team now is that I can focus on being a storyteller on the front side as well, on the writing and the creating of the concept. And I don't have to be so, uh, how you say, in micromanagement as far as keeping that story intact all the way through editing. I can trust other people. And then when we get to the tail end, I can jump back in and make sure that it's coming together. So it just gives me a little creative breather. Yeah. Um, now, so I want to switch a little gears a little bit here and, and sure. researching you a little bit. I saw you, you were born in a, in a different country than your English speaking country you're in your, yeah. your home now. Um, does that, so I guess, first of all, does that affect your storytelling or is it kind of a universal language? I mean, um, you know, I think anytime you're from a different place, wherever that be, uh, you're going to be able to have two wells to pull from. Hmm. So although I was raised in the United States and uh, consider myself a very proud American, I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and uh, hearing my parents' stories in life, uh, sharing with uncles and aunts, especially recently with the horrible government, and they're all kind of moving here. Hmm. I'm, being, I'm actually give, being given stories all the time now, and so it's giving me another well to pull from. So I think that anytime you, and it don't have to be from a different place, it could be like you're from a broken marriage or something, like anything. Anytime you can pull from two wells, I think you're going to be a better storyteller. And I heard something I heard you say there too was uh, you're a story listener, I think, right? Time. Does that make you a better storyteller? Do you think? Is Absolutely. That- I personally believe so. I think you have to listen before you talk. I think we do way too much talking. <laughs> and a lot of times when you listen, it's not just that you're going to get great tool sets that you could use for your storytelling. Sometimes it's those tiny little nuances, the way someone else told the story. I feel like people always feel like they need to add their two cents. And I try really hard to leave it untouched. If I don't need to fix it or put my spin on it, why? Why do it? What if, is it possible that I could weaken the story? Absolutely. So I try my best to um, be a little bit of a non-destructive storyteller like I am a non-destructive editor. Um, And I definitely feel like you said that uh, listening will give you a better edge because then when you're going to talk, you're coming from a different place, right? You've absorbed it. You, you have time to chew on it, and then now you can regurgitate it in a better way. You can control how you release it. Great advice for storytellers out there right now yeah. wanting to, to make it big. So, uh, so what do you love in particular about storytelling, whether it's video format or just orally or whatever it is? What's your favorite thing about telling stories? Man, you know, I come back from the old – I used to – when I was a kid and, and uh, CDs were cool, if you remember what those are. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I was in school, and I was that geek that liked the Orson Welles radio stories, right? So, like, in other words, even at a young age when I should have been into hip-hop, I was telling my friends at school about Orson Welles, right? So – I love listening to stories and the way master storytellers tell them. Um, And then when it came to doing my stories, I just felt like I had a good place to start from. I knew sort of the format of a good story. It doesn't mean you're always right, but I just I knew where to start. I think a lot of storytellers struggle because they feel like it has to fit a format, whether it's a podcast like Serial or whether it's a film. They're trying to fit their story into a screenplay or they're trying to fit it into a drama. I really feel like you should release the story on the paper, a digital recorder, get that brain dump out, 
don't focus it on a format until the story is perfectly told the way you want it. Then I think at that point, adapt it to what you want to release it on. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. brain dump is so important. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've talked with the guys, uh, Tom Schwab that owns interview LA that I work with that I work for. Uh, he talks about instead of writing, he just talks into a recorder yeah. and then, and then transcribes it and like, okay, there's a start. Yep. Use so, technology yeah. to your benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think is one of the bigger challenges then with storytelling right now? People copying everybody else's story, I think is a big problem. Regurgitating something that's been done or the reverse, right? Like, oh, we don't have any good stories. Let's go back into the eighties and pull from there. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, and this is funny, you're asking me this, so I, I, you can trim this and edit this all you like, <laughs> uh, but I feel like I need to share this with your listener because I just had this conversation with a friend about people no longer having their own original thoughts. Like we're very much a quote uh, quote Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, every Twitter account is quoting everybody's quotes. And I'm a big believer in talking to people and looking for others that kind of have their own thoughts, right? Because what happens there is that's where original stories were come from. And I think we've gotten away from original storytelling and original, everything now is an adaptation of something, or we want to convert a book into a movie. Do you understand how many amazing stories? When I traveled for the messengers to Guatemala, I could have written down a hundred stories. Mm. And every one of those could have been an independent documentary. But we're so caught up in quoting others, making it like others. Oh, there's a trend, so let's make that kind of movie. Um, I really think I would love to see a renaissance like there were back in the renaissance days. I would love to see a film renaissance where people start to tell original, never-before-told stories and, and finding a way to release it instead of trying to get something released because it fits a genre or trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny that you, cause I'm, I feel the same way about so much and, and there's, you know, gosh, there's only two stories in the world, right? A love story and a, and a death story, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so many, but there's so many ways to tell it. <laughs> right. And, uh, but it's funny that you say it about quotes, because, you know, everybody's quoting a quote that quoted a quote and it gets so just kind of all jacked up. Right. And yeah. I'll just share this quick story with you. I think you'll get a kick out of it. And hopefully the listeners do too. Um, I had a, I had somebody that worked for me for a while that was doing uh, social media for all of our our company that I was with this this mortgage company, and and he wanted to to do like a motivational Monday type thing. Okay, fine, everybody kind of does it, but you know maybe this will work. And I, I may have told him to do it. I don't know, but anyway, uh, but he went and found a quote that was you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Now the thing is, is, it's attributed to Wayne Gretzky. The problem is he took it off a satire site that attributed it to uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh. Now. <laughs> <laughs> the sixth side of me finds it funny, but for a, a company, like that's not okay, man. <laughs> anyway, cause that's what we are. We're just a quote society. And so like, you know, the, there's never a real quote on the internet that said Abraham Lincoln, right? That's just, uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, all right. So you're not just a video guy. Obviously you mentioned this, you're a podcast guy. You've got yeah. uh, all things post and you've been doing that for a long time. Yeah. What, what is kind of, what is your favorite way to tell a story? Is it podcasting? Is it video? Is it everything? Ah, Different reasons. If I answer one, I tick off the other crowd, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're so different. Um, They're so different, buddy. Uh, First of all, filmmaking is always my my chosen way. It's what I've always wanted to be. I love the medium of filmmaking because I can tell the same story with no sound as I can. A whole different story as soon as I add sound and it just gives me more more tools to play with to control the story. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but podcasting has a unique space, a little more intimate. Um, you know, I, yes, I do an interview-based show, but I try at times when I'm going to tell a story to really kind of use my voice intonations and things to sort of deliver those emotions that I'm trying to get. So they're different muscles that I'm using. But I would, I would say filmmaking is my, my favorite just because 
of the different mediums and I can play with more, more brushes than just audio. Yeah. Now, so on, on the other side of that, what's your favorite way to take in a story? Ooh, movies. Yeah. I still think movies, but well, no, let me not say that. That's my favorite traditional way. I still love good old fashioned sit down next to me and tell me a great story, grandpa. You know uh, what I call fireside chats, whether there's fire or not. I love when people travel or something and then they start telling me all these stories. They don't even realize the passion that they're unloading when they're excited about it. So that's still the way I love to hear things. Uh, I love talking to elderly people. I love talking to people that have been through something, former military. Mm-hmm. Those guys are loaded with amazing stories and, and I love being a conduit. Matter of fact, to, to, to a little example, I just recently interviewed a gentleman in um, Ohio that was one of the last people in Alcatraz. So I got to sit with him for four hours as he told me jaw-dropping stories about Alcatraz. And as I showed him an Alcatraz book, he could literally point and say, I was the one that drilled that heater hole. I'm the one that did this. And, it, and he just recently passed away, rest in peace. But um, I got to sit there as a filmmaker and just absorb four hours of Alcatraz that I never lived through. Yeah. And then at the end, he says, and I trust you two guys that will be the ones to tell my story. Oh, and so that's sort of my favorite way to take it in, you know, in yeah. person from the person that lived it. In person is incredible. I, so I used to work for a long time with the honor flight program with World War II vets and Korean War vets. Same kind of thing, man. Just sitting there listening to them and be able to retell their stories for them and continue that legacy. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. We should never complain. That's all I have to say. <laughs> no, no kidding, right? <laughs> when you talk to these guys, you're like, I'm so spoiled. I know, for real. <laughs> so, so let's explore a little bit of that collaborative world that you talked about earlier. You used to be the, the one person shop, the one man band, as it were. And that, that was great. But now in, in the greater world of video, so often, you know, you're, the, you're a director that works with an editor or you have to work with uh, producers or the subject matter, the actor, or the interviewer, or whatever. Um, how, does that, how does that affect your storytelling? If you're the director and you have a story you want to tell from, from the writer who was the original storyteller, how does all that work together? I mean, how do you, how do you navigate all that? Oh, yeah, good questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, I feel torn every time you ask me one because I literally have two answers. I have, and they both conflict each other. It's funny. Right? That's the best part. Because I am coming from me always sort of controlling it and because I felt no one had the passion that I had. So I got to control every aspect of it. But now I'm such a different place. Like right now, I feel like the minute I start bringing in everybody else's ideas, instead of fearing that they're watering my idea down, I'm trying so hard to embrace what they're adding that I could never bring to it. So it's finding, I think it's more finding a balance yourself as a storyteller to learn to stop being fearful and in control and fearing that and taking away that thought process of everyone's watering down my story. Mm -hmm. You know, you control that. So if I brought you to a table and you and I start collaborating and, and at first I'm embracing everything and you're giving me these amazing ideas, I should be able to speak up or say something when I feel you've turned from oil to water and you're now you're just watering down. And I think it's more people as storytellers learning how to start and stop the collaboration, learning how to better control the flow of collaboration because you still need a leader, right? To put it all together. So for me, the way it works now is I just kind of, I had to be a better communicator so that I set up the framework better. That way they can collaborate better. So the more you're trying to control, the less framework they have to grab onto. And then you're mad at them that they're slipping off the framework all the time. But you're, you're the one putting the oil on the framework. That makes yeah. sense. So really, my advice to your listeners is get out of your own way. It's scary as hell. But <laughs> guess what happens? I found every time at the end of the project, end of the podcast, end of the movie, it's so much more robust and richer and I still get the end say I'm the editor I, I still get that end say but even if I didn't have it right embrace people's uh adding their seasoning to your 
to your idea and it's going to be great. And does that kind of bleed over into live events? So uh, I'm leading you into this one because PodFest, no. <laughs> right? So you work with Chris and all these other great guys and this great yeah. team, men and women both. Yeah. Does that bleed over into live events too? Oh my God, does it? We had the same, Chris and I had the same arguments when we're working on anything for PodFest <laughs> in the 10 months we shot The Messengers. There's an entire podcast called The Messengers. If you just want to hear us fight in the car, um, people, a lot of people don't know it exists. It's a podcast hosted by Dave Jackson where they interviewed us the entire time that we were making the movie. But yeah, absolutely. Whether it's a live event, whether Chris and I are running the Florida Podcast Association, whatever we're doing together, because he is the one the visionary behind it. I'm just always honored to be a founding member of everything he does. But um, whether I'm helping him in those things, we do have, we have, we have figured out a collaboration method that works for us, but that took a while. We've had good amount of arguments. So yeah, it does bleed over, but um, it's been what it's been sort of what has made it fun is that it is different. So every time we do something together, we have to keep relearning and retooling our collaborative spirit just because we made a great movie does not mean we're going to put together a great event. Uh, but you do. So let's just say that. Oh, thank, um, you. thank you so much. <laughs> so what I, what I heard you say in there too, is when you're collaborating, you're going to have, uh, you're going to butt heads, you're going to have arguments, oh, yeah. but, but don't take it personally necessarily and have yeah. the, the grace maybe to just kind of let it go. You've got to remove that personal. And, and I'm the first one. He'll tell you what Neil said. He removed the personal. He's the first one. We had a, a literally an epic battle. If you listen to that podcast, there's an epic battle because he wanted to remove the word award winning from editor when I had made the trailer, right? Because we wanted to show this film is being produced by people that have won some accolade, right? It's just mm-hmm. kind of reinforce the movie. He felt we're setting the bar too high. You better take it off. So even something like that, as simple as collaborating on our credits was a problem, right? But <laughs> it so yes um i say every day my last meeting i had right before this uh awesome interview was telling people on my team it's never personal it's never personal that i'm striking an idea down or that you strike mine we've got to remove that so the you have to i guess i'll end it with this you need to do what's best for the project not what's best for you and i'll leave it right there you can quote that on twitter <laughs> and is it, now now how difficult is it to compartmentalize the the project from the, the i mean i put my blood sweat and tears into that that's got to be hard right hard as hell because there's always a piece of you it's like sending your child to school for the first time and you know that now this teacher is going to influence them other kids are going to influence them and i'm going to that a little four-year-old right now just going to school for the first time um it feels like a movie with chris (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know i'm learning the lesson i'm learning the lesson of being like you said right out of the gate being a better collaborator but a collaborator that's still balancing the leadership side of it and, uh, and I try to just be better and better at every project. And you have to own when you screw up, guys. I mean, the biggest thing is you have to say, I, you know, my movie's weaker because I didn't let that guy do that angle that he wanted to shoot that day. And because I was being a control freak, I told him, no, not. that happened on the messengers twice. I was like, we don't have an angle from that. And I remember the guy wanting to do it, but I was being Mr. Director and we're done when I'm done. And now I paid a price for it later. And the movie suffered a tiny bit because it didn't benefit from that angle that he wanted so yeah gotcha. get out of your own space man get out of your own space uh and just a, a, a sidebar how does being a dad affect your storytelling oh man <laughs> it depends if i sleep right <laughs> um my daughter is uh gives me a, a motivation factor as far as grind that helps me deliver the story right because it's going to get done because daddy has to deliver this ball mm-hmm. but uh it hasn't I shouldn't say it's affected me a ton in the sense that the stuff that i still want to tell stories about have been around before her Mm -hmm. what she does is just give me the inspiration to stop talking about it and start making meetings and get the phone calls going. Because at the end of the day, 
not, no project, you can't complain that others are winning Oscars or others are winning awards or others are garnering success because the only difference is they made a phone call on Monday morning you didn't make, which was to call that next step person and say, how do we get this project rolling? And so she motivates me in that sense. But uh, storytelling is still something that I also want to tell something that's relevant or I want to impact at a time because I want to change relevance, right? What's popular right now. So I base it on that first and then she's my motivating factor to get it done. All right. Well, that checks off my inspiration question. So we're good there. Um, <laughs> oh, one last question, man. We're going to be done sooner. What are you doing? Uh, no, I got more. Don't worry. Every time you talk, I think of five more. I'm right down fun. here. So, um, how, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the tactile, tactile, tactical, I don't know, whatever it's called, equipment side of things. How does technology and other media affect storytelling? In particular, I kind of want to know a little bit about like VR yes. uh, and some other stuff. So how do you see that landscape? Bro, it's huge. I mean, the impact of, of gear and storytelling is so big, it's not even funny. I mean, literally, I think that the, a simple technology shift could literally alter the whole movie you were going to do because now something's available, right? Something that can either help your story or it's going to hinder it. Hmm. So a good example if I want to just pull from a simple example, um, is DSLRs, for example, right? Everybody got out there, everybody felt like a movie maker. <laughs> then all of a sudden, 4K comes out. 4K requires real lighting. You can't fool the camera as easy as you can a DSLR where you could lie to it, change the ISO, open up your F-stop a little more, and you still can shoot with these bigger cameras. Yes, they have more resolution. Yes, they're better, but they require you to actually bring a lighting crew now. It alters the decision of where you shoot, do you scrap that whole scene? Do you still do it based on the technology? But if you look at things like VR, AI, all these things that are coming to the table, even look at like Avatar when they created, you know, cameras that shot in Z space for heaven's sakes. Like they, they literally changed the way they recorded the movie to deliver an outcome for us. So technology, I really think when you're thinking of your story, this is what I tell people. First, tell your story with no limits. Tell your story as if there was no technological limit or help. Then once you are ready to start production, sit down and look at your budget and then buy into as much technology as you can in the sense of easing your production and opening as many doors um, visually for yourself. Because down the road, you're going to want to make another one of these or you're going to want it to last into decades from now. So you want to shoot in the highest format possible per se. But don't let technology stop your storytelling because I just did an entire movie on DSLR because it was simply a budgeting thing. Mm. We could have made it with, the, with more drone shots, but obviously it's <laughs> a budget. So I think of it first, then I apply technology, and then I hope technology helps me along the way. Uh, and certainly don't not make a movie due to the technology. There's always a workaround. And, and how, do you, how, how, how would you envision like something like VR telling a better story in like documentaries, let's say? Man, I don't know if... This answer might not be popular. I don't know if it'll tell a better story, right? I think it'll give a, a more immersive story. I think it'll give a more sensory, a better sensory uh, of entertainment of your story. But you can make a crappy VR story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So I think that these type of technology changes surely give a director or a DP a better way to immerse the audience. So I see the future of like VR. I see uh, even them in integrating now uh, augmented reality, things like that into video space. I think that it's going to give us a more robust enjoyment of a great story. Mm -hmm. But you can have a crappy movie, fill it with VR, and it's still a crappy movie. <laughs> yeah, a bad story. You can't polish a turd, right? <laughs> well, I, think, I mean, uh, to kind of end that thought is um, our job as storytellers, and you uh, please tell me if you don't agree, but I, I think that our job is to tell 
amazing stories that impact people, right? That create an emotion or control an emotion per se. And mm -hmm. I think that these tools are just ways to get you deeper. The roller coasters now that added the VR goggles are still the same roller coaster, but they've given you a more immersive ride because mm -hmm. you no longer can see. Now you feel the movement, but you see whatever they're programming into your headset. They're giving you a deeper enjoyment of the same boring ride. And I think that's the difference in between technology and better storytelling. I think you still got to be a great storyteller. The technology is just going to allow you to go deeper so that the audience could get a richer experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I had this argument, not argument. I have this discussion with a friend of mine who is a, a video storyteller later on in the season as well. Um, <clears throat> and he talks about how everybody's using drones now. Yeah. And like drones are great. They looks amazing. But if you only tell the story, if, if you only tell it with a drone, probably not a great story unless it's a drone story of some kind, but you have to be able to mix the different media Absolutely. different shots and everything. So yeah, that's a great way to say yeah, it. Messengers, we did DSLR, drone, GoPro, you name it. Whatever tool is right for the shot that I need for this film. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you think that social media then, take it out of the media, the, the technical side of things, how has social media uh, affected you? Yeah. Big. I'm a big social media guy. <laughs> Anybody that follows me, even in the smallest way, knows I live on Twitter. <laughs> Because, because, you know, um, coming up, I always had to do word of mouth to grow. No one knew I existed. Today, I could be on a production. I'm tweeting photos of me live. And before I leave that production, I'm getting hired for another one. It's happened twice during the making of The Messengers. I, I ended wow. up in Haiti. I was in Guatemala for The Messengers. Someone saw a picture of me flying my drone and hired me to go to Haiti. And so I was able to get another entire documentary out of that. Mm -hmm. And recently, someone saw The Messengers on Amazon and hired me to do a documentary about an artist in, out of Tampa. So social media, leaving breadcrumbs for people to be able to follow my journey has certainly benefited me financially. It, my business, literally, I joke with some of my guys, hey, when you're out shooting, make sure you're posting behind the scenes pictures. You'll see it'll literally trigger a new job. People, people, when they see you hustling and see you really busy, they want you on their team. <laughs> if you're not leaving a social uh, path, I guess, or a social crumb, they don't know where to follow you to. You're leading them to your last week's post, right? So social media is incredibly powerful. I think everybody should be using it. Uh, the power of Facebook Live and things like that to bring them in to your world is so important. And I think essential for any storyteller today. So you mentioned Facebook Live. Um, do you think that things like Facebook Live and, and our, our phones here like this, you know, any, anybody can be a storyteller. Does that bother you as a professional at all? Uh, <clears throat> dude, you're good. Or as an artist? Um, man, that's a tough question, okay? Because if, uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to have the equal competition. I wanted to be put on an equal footing so I could compete with everybody else. I spent most of my, most of my youth trying to prove I could. So I guess it's a double-edged sword. Having the technology available to everybody should put a little fear in everybody that now the little guy has a chance to compete with you. However, you being like me, a creator of content, we also know that just giving someone a camera and a laptop does not make them a great filmmaker. I just had this conversation the other day. Someone said, wow, you share so much about what you learn on ATP. You're kind of giving it away. What are you doing? And I always say, I could give them literally every step, my whole studio, give them access to every toy I have and they will not make what I make. So the answer to your question is, it doesn't make me nervous. What I am kind of fearing is that there's a lot of crap being made in the effort to get out to where anybody feels they can just make anything. And I just fear that they don't have what kind of we had coming up, which was let me learn from the masters so that I can become a master. Now it's just like, oh, we can all do Facebook Live, so let's just get on. We can all do YouTube, so let's just get on. And I think it makes for my, I don't know, uh, 
a less robust story pool. So I'm hoping that somebody out there, or maybe they hear us today, they say, I don't just want to be a storyteller. I want to be a masterful one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a key right there is the master. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I do like the idea of democratizing uh, the creative process. Yeah. You know, just like you, Neil, I think it's, I think it, it helps us to be better. It makes me want to be that much better of a storyteller because any person can grab that camera or that phone or, or type or do whatever. So, yeah, but it's also incredible to see some of those that are coming out that are, that you never would have known. You never would have oh, yeah. heard from. That's, that's listen, so cool. Let's talk for a second business wise. If you're like an entrepreneur like me and you have a video production business, it's affected me financially that now everyone is DIY and they, what's happened is it's taken away the big dollar projects. There's nobody else wanting to pay me 50 grand for a video. They want me two because mm-hmm. there's a guy out there with a great 5d full frame camera that could do this job for $1,500. We've had to literally rethink our entire business model to survive in a social media world. So but guess what? When they want to do a documentary, they still want us to bring out the big guns. They still want us to bring out the big tools. And going back to being a master at your craft and whatever it is, whether it's being a chef or being a filmmaker, is they, someone that has the budget or a corporation or whether it's just a, a, someone that's willing to invest in their dream, in the end of the day, they're going to put their money behind the pro hmm. because the pro will deliver the desired result. Good, uh, good things to keep in mind for sure. Um, so I want to get down to uh, a, a question that I, I struggle with myself. Uh, what is, what is one or two words, a phrase that you might use to describe the best story out there, the best kind of story, the best story that would really move you? Wow. Short phrase for the best story that would move me would be tell an authentic story with a ton of passion. That's, that's it. I just want to hear authenticity and that you're passionate about your story. And then the rest I can bring as the viewer. So if that's the, the phrase you would use, what would you apply that to, to be your favorite story? Do you think? Wow, man, that's pa- so many stories to pull from mm-hmm. um, an authentic, passionate story. Aside from the Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a, yeah. Um, which is probably the, honestly, me is my main one, but um, for, I'll give you a good example of a, of a childhood favorite is like Rocky. Mm. Uh, what it couldn't get made, difficult to get made, but he kept telling an authentic story, true to himself, fought to stay in it, used his passion to sell it, and it got made and became one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, so I think Rocky would be an example of one of my childhood favorites that applied authenticity and passion. That's a great one. I like that. That's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> not me, not new, but yeah. <laughs> when I hadn't heard yet, that's good. Um, I like that. So, so if you have the authenticity, you have the passion, you have the story and you've created it and you've learned from the masters, how are you supposed to get it out in the world today with all this noise going on? Oh, pay a lot of money. <laughs> no. yeah. um, you know, I want to caution your audience. No, I guess everybody says that now you have YouTube and everybody has distribution, but let's keep it real. That's free distribution. Everybody can see it for free. You're not making a dime. You know, we learned a lot making the messengers, uh, having to go through third party companies just to get to iTunes because they have their own barriers to get to weed out the projects and try to get only the projects that are of caliber. There are companies whose job is to stop you there. So yes, part of my real answer is the more you pay into that situation, the more hurdles you can sort of overcome. But today's way is obviously use the social media channels to market it. 
Yes, you, you can use YouTube and Vimeo to get it out to the world if, you, if you're not looking to monetize it. So that's a quick way just if you just want to build your name as a filmmaker or a content creator, yes, use those obvious ones. But today I would say uh, get a third-party distributor like maybe a distributor, for example. Help them, let them help you get it out to iTunes, Amazon. Because now that we've been there and we can measure how our product did, anything we do next, we can now build that those measurements, those expectations into the project. Like I now know the QC that they put me through for that movie. Like I will be so much more careful shooting messengers too at this point. Um, but I'd get it out using distribution methods. And I hate to say it, you got to have some cash to pay for that. Cause when you're, when you're willing to pay to play, you will pass up some of the small hurdles that are put there to slow you down and weed you out. Okay. So it's not just a matter of free social media anymore, right? No, because you know, if you really believe in anything, I mean, think of NASCAR, they yeah. could, they can go get the car, but they still got to get sponsors. <laughs> mm -hmm. So anything that you really believe in that you want to put into space, like they did with the Tesla, you have to put cash behind it. We live in a money world. Um, I would suggest any beginning storyteller, storyteller, filmmaker, you need to have 5,000 to 7,000 in your pocket just to get distribution channels rolling. Yeah. Good advice. Uh, so you're a guy that I would consider has made it. And I don't mean like you're done creating, but you've, you've made a name for yourself. You're, you're on IMDb after all. Um, you've, you're, you're, you're an award-winning editor. Uh, you're a director. You, you know, you've, you've made it. Do you ever look around and kind of go, yeah, I'm doing okay? Actually, you're making me blush because uh, I, <laughs> I, I always wonder if I have, right? I always feel like, did I actually get somewhere? Am I officially made it? Um, but I put in the time for sure, 27 years. And um, when I saw the messengers hit Amazon, I broke into tears, not because I was being um, just emotional, but I felt like I finally went full circle. I felt like I could finally point my resume went from my business card to no, just turn on Amazon, look that up. There's my name as director. And that, that did something for me where like you just said, I finally felt like I've made an impact that's visual and provable versus just, I made it. I think I'm ex all my awards didn't mean anything until Amazon came around. Right. So, um, <laughs> But I'm still very humbled and I still feel like there's so much more to achieve. But I, yes, I do. When I look at my daughter today, I do feel like daddy has made it in the industry from when I started at 17 years old, 44 now. And I feel like I have made a name. I feel like I've I earned my stripes to walk around the industry, but I still have so much to do. And I want to work with so many more people. And I feel like there's so much more I want to master. But thank you for the compliment. And uh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's tough to kind of take. I'm a very humble person. So. <laughs> Nothing wrong with humility. Um, yeah. So does does part of making it uh, include working with certain people? That's what I heard from you. It, it includes working with people, okay. but it's more about it's more like the right people, right? It's, I've made a lot of wrong choices coming up, working with wrong projects, or investing in my time and effort as an editor into the wrong projects that went to nowhere. I think one big thing is to kind of forecast before you involve yourself in projects to see if the people involved have had either proven records or they or they or they're just a, a uprising star but be more careful before you get on the ride i think you might shorten the disappointments and enhance your chances of of making it with the right project certainly meeting chris his drive to get it to amazon at all costs uh the, we crowdfunded in ways i think anybody has uh <laughs> so like we did whatever it took and uh and then getting that sweet moment i don't know if you remember at last podcast we had lost my father-in-law the day i was supposed to premiere the film so i had to show a unfinished version uh and just this year they showed the completed version a year later and it was just like wow like i can't believe that we even had major loss and we still delivered that football but it was because i chose the right partner 
So it's about choosing the, someone that has your equal passion and equal, equal drive to deliver the football. And then, yeah, hopefully everybody likes it, you know, and then you can say you made it. <laughs> and after 27 years, uh, now that you've made it, uh, I've convinced you of that. How, <laughs> how, and, and you can't obviously tell the entire story, but what's a, kind of a snapshot of how you made it to this point after 27 years? What's a little bit of that journey for you? Man, I can give you a quick answer for that one. Uh, risk. Mm-hmm. I've always been a risk taker and I always feel very bonded by people that are constantly telling me not to do so much. Don't be so risky. You should play it safe. Get a real job, blah, blah, blah. You know, my entire career, I, I would take the risk that many people told me not to. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't even lie and say they were always calculated, right? Because um, I think that the journey for me was, you know, I came from another country. My dad moved me to California. Hello, movie Mecca got a taste of that. Uh, I, I was on the set, got to, I got not on the set, but I got to see when they shot Charles in charge back in the, in the early nineties P- shows like facts of life. I got bit by that bug, moved to Orlando the same year universal studios, Orlando opens up. I graduate high school, won a contest at universal studios, which then led for me to open my business, started doing weddings and videos. I worked for the police homicide department. I was the producer for the mayor of Orlando journey, journey, all the way till 213 when I left and went to Tampa on a total gamble, 100% all in my own business. A year later, started podcasting, which I didn't even know what it was. A year later, was speaking on podcast cruises, going to podcast conferences, all things post got sponsored. I mean, all the way up to now where I did the messengers, it did so well that I was able to parlay that into business growth that allowed me to move back and sitting in the room right now where I left when I was 17 to be a filmmaker. So my studio now is exactly 30 years later, I'm sitting in the editing bay where it all started. So it's risk. Taking risks when everybody else tells you not to is how you get to where you want to go. That's huge. That's, that's something to keep in mind for, yeah. for all those young long. storytellers. Yeah. No, <laughs> don't be sorry. Long. But you know, it's, a, it's everybody's job to tell you no. And it's your job to prove them otherwise. Everybody's job to tell you no, your job to prove them otherwise. I like that. Yeah. That's tweetable right there. Um, <laughs> Awesome deal. Uh, all right, man. So it all comes down to this one for you. Uh, I want to know that if you could only tell one last story, what would that story be? Oh, it made me sad. Um, if I had to tell a story, I would, I would love to tell the stories of the story of how my dad brought us here and, and filled us with dreams for all of us to, my brothers and sisters are six of us, for all of us to become who we become, we've all become really successful. But I'd love, I would love to tell the story of him leaving with zero and getting us here. And everyone's done that story, but I'd love to tell it regardless because um, the one story I haven't told is the one that I most admire, which is my father um, and his dream to bring us here. Of course, my mom, but my dad's vision was to bring us to America, which has given us all so much. And so I would love to tell his story from his perspective and can only hope that he's proud now uh, that hopefully we fulfilled all of his dreams and our own. But that would be my last story if I had to pick one to end the, the ball game with. And is, is he still with us? Yeah, he's still with us. Um, getting a little older, mm-hmm. uh, which might be a little bit why it's sensitive issue. Uh, like I told you, I just came back to the room that he let me start in. Right. <laughs> uh, my company was born in this room. Uh, my dreams were born in this room. And so even kind of talking to you and you telling me that I made it, it it's feels weird in this room <laughs> 30 years later someone is sort of validating the long journey uh, and it's almost hard to hear it right yeah uh, so but uh i just um 
I just hope that before my dad is gone, that he sees that uh, we fulfilled his dreams. And I would love to at some point uh, make a movie or something about his life. Well, I, I hope you do. I think that'd be a fantastic story of, yeah. of hope and success and absolutely and everything. So cool. Neil, well, Hey man, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it very much. No, of course. Actually, it's been a really, uh, a really fun interview. I'm actually sad it's coming to a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, where so where can people find you and your company and the movie and everything is there one central location that's easiest sure i mean i live on twitter and facebook uh if you follow me at neil galarte uh and then on facebook same thing uh, wildstyle media is my company if you go to wildstylemedia.net or you can just look at me up on twitter at wildstyle media and my podcast is all things post you can find that on itunes or just go to allthingspost.net i encourage you to listen and uh and give me your feedback yeah, that's cool, man. We'll put all that in the show notes. So yeah, thank uh, thanks for all you do, man. I, I'd say, well, like I said, I, was, I became a big fan through the messengers, um, you. meeting you at PodFest, watching you just work the room is so much fun. Uh, so <laughs> man, an, an incredible, an incredible honor to have you on my show, man. Thanks so much. Oh, man. Dude, thank you. The honor is all mine. And uh, anything you need from me, you just reach out. Three, two, one. Thank you so much to my guest, Neil Galarte for coming on the Storytellers Network. Be sure to visit Neil online. You can find all those links that he mentioned in our show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it all over the place and share Neil's story. I love his encouragement and his advice. It's great stuff. Go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, email it to somebody, text it. I don't care where you send it, just send it everywhere, would you? Anywhere you can share with other storytellers is always helpful. And also, please consider leaving us a review over on Apple Apple Podcasts uh, or formerly iTunes, whatever you want to call it now. Uh, we appreciate those as well. It helps us reach new storytellers there too. So until next time, here is to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Cheers. Three, two, one. And welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. <laughs> Three, two, one. And welcome to the... <laughs> oh, I should leave these in.